BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. I'm here with my colleague, David Tainter. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Good, good. Well, t- you know, today, most of our shows, we are, we have done, and we are going to have a main guest, and we have sort of a, a freewheeling conversation about what they know about, what they're doing, so on and so forth. But we felt in this episode, so much has happened in the Russia investigation over the last week and a half or two weeks that we feel we need to bring it all together because there's a number, a lot of these developments don't obviously connect up with each other. And some of them people have not even identified as part of the Russia probe. But I think they all sort of meld together, interweave together in a way that the entire thing seems much more sinister and much more, I don't know how you want to put it, uh, cataclysmic in terms of how this investigation may turn out, then I think I was prepared to believe a couple weeks ago. And I mean, when we talked to Chris Hayes last week, we were sort of saying the same thing about yeah, about Paul, Ma- Paul Manafort. Um, but there's even more since then. That's right. Um, not just related to Paul Manafort, but much closer in the president's inner circle related to Jared Kushner, just a handful, half dozen stories or so that seem to have come out in the last week. Yeah. And there's the stuff with Hope Hicks. And right. there is a guy who a lot of people may not have heard of before named Josh Raffle, who was Jared Kushner's spokesperson, yeah. basically, who came also from the ho- came from Hollywood, I want to say. Yeah. Out of like industry. entertainment industry and whatever. So anyway, we are going to try to put together all of these different threads and give you an image of where the Russia investigation is as of right now, the beginning of March 2018. If you follow the news closely, there have been a number of stories over the last three to five days that all are something like the president's allies are worried about the president. He's different, you know, it's different than it's ever been. He's, pure madness is what yeah, the Washington pure Post madness, said. Right, exactly, which is like a lot for the Washington exactly. Post to say. So all of these all of these headlines that collectively say that people who know the president well are worried about his kind of basic mental stability and whether he's, you know, whether it's all too much for him and that he is angry and lashing out in a way that is, you know, Donald Trump is always angry and lashing out. I was going to say, doesn't it feel like we've seen versions of this headline almost basically throughout the last year plus? Yeah, we we definitely have. And I, I think it's, you know, there's almost like this genre of Trump uh, headline, which is Trump very frustrated with X. And <laughs> X is, is Ryan's Priebus or Jeff Sessions, or it's always someone. So there have, but what these, what a lot of reporters have been trying to tell us is that what they are hearing, it's at a different level. 
And rightly or wrongly, these new tariffs that were semi-announced last week and are still kind of floating out there and may be finalized any day have been presented as this, you know, he feels he's not popular and all these different kind of things. And this is a way for him to assert himself, an arena where he has full power and everything. That's true. I feel like, um, you know, when you feel like you're losing control, you want to take claim over some part of your life, yeah. and maybe you know that's like where this is coming from, right? Well, it's you know for 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 a lot of us, maybe like we feel like things are a little out of control, and so we like clean up our room. Right. <laughs> and Trump Trump uh, puts uh, steel tariffs on, on different strokes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody has to roll differently. So here's the thing: I think about this, and and how I think a lot of the press has gotten it wrong. There are. We hear, as we were just saying, he's frustrated with this or that person. He's upset that the media isn't, you know, his coverage isn't as good. Uh, he's he's not getting enough credit for the economy. All these different kinds of things. And sometimes it's, or a lot of times, it's he's frustrated about Bob Mueller and when will it end and blah, 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 blah. To me, what seems to be happening over the last couple weeks has a much simpler explanation the more intense and the more threatening the legal jeopardy gets, the more he freaks out and starts acting out. And I think it is as simple as that. I, everything else that is happening, and again, we kind of know this. We know that he, you know, he freaked out at Jeff Sessions because Sessions wouldn't launch a probe of Hillary Clinton and blah, 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 blah. He fired, he fired Jim Comey because of the Russia thing. I mean, he said that right. on live yeah. TV, right? Totally, totally. So it's, it's, we know this has always been an issue for him, but I just, I don't think, I think even a lot of reporters who, you know, they see what we see, there's still a desire or a felt need not to make it quite as straightforward as I think it is, which is Mueller is getting closer, um, probably to Donald Trump, but certainly to people around him. And this is someone whose mental balance and feeling of wellness is overwhelmingly driven by feelings of dominance and control and that yeah. just freaks him out is your is your sense that you know someone like Rick Gates pleading guilty started contributing to this or is it the 13 indictments against Russia is it kind of a combination of the well you know it's a good question and i and I, here here's what i think what i see is his freak out i think is like the barometer that tells us <laughs> where the temperature is. Uh-huh. And we don't know necessarily why the temperature is rising, but he probably knows why the temperature is rising. He's hearing things from his lawyers, blah, 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 yeah, blah. That so, we're not hearing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I don't know exactly, but a lot of, a bunch of things have happened. And so it's up to us to sort of say, all right, we have the the fact in hand, which is Trump's freak out. So what's happening behind the scenes that we don't know about? Right. One of the things that all of us saw last week is that Hope Hicks resigned. Uh, There was some dispute about whether, you know, this was it long in the making and stuff like that. But at a minimum, it was like it stunned everybody in Washington. Yeah. And came came one day after she testified before the House Intelligence Committee and said that she sometimes tells white lies on behalf of the president. (laughs) Right. And and that's not a legal term of art. Right. (laughs) Right. So. So, yeah. So there was there was a lot of suspicion 
at first about did things go really badly in that testimony and she had to resign. And I don't think we know that. We don't we don't know completely what led to her resignation. But there was original discussion about, you know, she was felt she'd accomplished what she needed to accomplish and moving on. Like whatever no. that is. Yeah, yeah, no, come on. That's not that's not what happened. Um, it, clearly either it is the mounting chaos that we just talked about or there's there's some legal issues my sense my suspicion is that she is in significantly greater legal jeopardy than is widely understood and uh, beyond her legal jeopardy I think she may know things about the president and about members of his family that makes her that puts her in in Bob Mueller's crosshairs. So we want to walk you through one of the theories that I have that I, I think is what is driving this. So we'll just kind of go through this and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it a little. Now, we saw last week there was that whole blow up about clearances and demotions. Jared Kushner had had the very highest level security clearance that anyone, anyone can get in the U.S. government, and actually Daly was reading the president, president's daily brief, which is something that is way beyond even any level of clearance. Only The a, highest secrets. Yeah, exactly. Only a f- very, very few people ever get to see that. So he basically had access to everything, and there had been this issue about his endless, you know, keep, uh, you know, revising his his uh, disclosures and stuff and blah, blah, blah. All right. So we know he was bumped down to a secret level clearance, which is dramatically lower. It's it's it and it makes it very hard to do the kind of work at the kind of level he was doing. OK, so what was that about? Is it tied some way to Hope Hicks? Here's the thing. If you go back to Let's go back to June of 2016, the infamous Trump Tower meeting where this Russian lawyer uh, puts together this meeting with Donald Trump Jr. They get together. Jared Kushner's there. uh, Paul Manafort's there. We all know this basic story. Now, let's talk about how Hope Hicks and Josh Raffle, I think he got his his name right. I think so, yeah. I think that's right. Rafael or Raffle or whatever, you know, these Hollywood people, you, know, you never know. Anyway, so we know about that meeting. Um, now, there's something that happened. It, we do not know that Donald Trump ever learned about that meeting at the time. We do not know that as a fact. We know, we don't even really know as a fact that he learned about it until a year later, just before. Uh, the New York Times broke the story, which was in July 2017. But knowing what we know about Don Jr., how exciting an opportunity he thought this was, it is almost a moral certainty that he told his dad. I mean, this is like the most like approval starved uh you know, forty-year-old man in in the the, the conversation. Yeah. He and told, a key and a key stretch of the campaign too. I mean, the you know going into the summer is when things really heat up. Absolutely, I mean, we're in the home stretch. Yeah, yeah, and and this is the kind of thing anybody who was helping their father run for president would tell them. I mean, some of us might have thought like, all right, I got to tell the FBI this is really bad. But just in a functional sense, this was a big, big deal. So 
I think we should act on the very strong assumption that he told his father. And if he did tell his father, here is a part of the timeline that has been discussed, but has still not gotten, I think, quite enough attention. Let's walk through this. On June 3rd, 2016 is the first time Rob Goldstone reaches out to Don Jr. The music publicist who had worked with uh, a Russian pop star who kind of has ties to Trump's family. Right. And and, and that goes back to the Miss Universe thing in Moscow yeah, in 2013. Exactly. Okay. So he reaches out and we know that he basically says very explicitly, you know, stuff from the Russian government, their four-year dad, it's stuff about Hillary, you know, all that kind of lays it out there. Okay. So that is June 3rd. On June 7th, Donald Trump is giving, I can't remember, maybe it was a speech after he won a primary, whatever. He's giving a speech. And he says something. He says, you know what? Next Monday, I'm going to give a really special speech where I'm, you know, I'm going to really lay out all the gory details about Hillary Clinton's corruption. And he really makes it sound like this isn't going to be a rehash. This is going to be when it gets real when he's going to really say all the stuff, suggests he has new information. Okay. That speech never happens. Now, let's go back to the timeline. So, letter comes on June 3rd. Trump says this June 7th. On June 9th, the meeting actually happens with at Trump Tower. And it's still very up in the air. You know, we don't know exactly what happened in that meeting, but it seems at least, you know, they all say, oh, it was a bust, nothing, whatever. It seems at least they didn't get any goods at that meeting. Maybe there were hints. Maybe they said, hey, just kind of keep an eye out. Some stuff will be surfacing. But it seems to have been a bust. Now, the speech that Trump was talking about just didn't happen. Now, it was... At the time, the suggestion was that it was canceled because of the Pulse nightclub massacre in Orlando. And that may have been the immediate reason, but that speech was never rescheduled. That speech never happened. There was another speech about Hillary, but it was just like Benghazi. You would think if there were juicy enough details, you're going to find time to get them out. Yeah, you wait a couple days and exactly, exactly. So, we don't know, but the timeline gives a very strong sense that maybe they get this email. And again, Don Jr. doesn't keep this to himself. They're not all going to talk about this. They get excited. There's some big stuff. Trump teases it. And you can actually go out and and um, you, can, you can see the video. I actually posted it at one point. So the video is out there. You can kind of make your own judgments. And then it doesn't happen. So this is, it is not proof But it is certainly very plausible, I would say probable, that this is part of the evidence that Donald Trump himself knew about this entirely, knew about it before, you know, on the basis of the email, got excited about it, was even planning a speech on the basis of it. And then it kind of, you know, it it was a dud. And then the speech never happened. Okay, this part. So, so we're going to move on now to July 2017. Donald Trump is president. He is over in Europe on a I – mean, was this the time he went to see Macron? I can't remember. Whatever. He's in Europe. That would make sense. Bastille Day is in the summer, right? I oh, think July. Yeah, yeah, exactly. July. All right. So it totally would have been then. Okay. So he is there. And around that time, uh, a little bit before then, 
as Jared Kushner's lawyers are going through basically in the process of discovery or the disclosures, kind of going through all his stuff. Let's let's you know, because Jared Kushner, unlike Trump, Jared Kushner has very top flight lawyers. He had a woman named Jamie Gorelick, who was a Clinton administration person. Uh, now he has Abby Lowell, one of the top uh, uh, DC defense lawyers. So he's got pros. Again, unlike his father-in-law, he's got real people. So they come across these emails. And they are debating, okay, what do we do about this? And they're talking about it kind of among their people. And at least what we are told, and this is consistent with what we know about Kushner's lawyers, the thought is, we just got to get this out because it's going to come out regardless. And it's better that we just do it sooner than later. Okay. Now, Trump and his family and Hope Hicks and Josh Raffle and all these people are in Europe on this big trip. Around that time, the New York Times starts calling. And it's clear they've got at least a lot of the goods. They're going to do a story. So that trips off this whole, you know, kind of crisis response. What are we going to do about this? So everybody's, again, what we are told is that everybody involved is, is, on, is on board with something like, we just got to get it out there. It's going to come out. So let's, let's do it on our own terms. One of the people involved in this is this guy, Josh Raffel, because he is the press person for Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. And Hope Hicks is very deeply involved because she is one of the president's top aides, et cetera. So these are people involved in this whole couple day crisis response. What do we tell the New York Times? They get on Air Force One. They are flying back to the United States. At this point, Donald Trump and Hope Hicks, and I don't think anybody else, maybe there were some other people, but those are the key people kind of in the cabin as this is happening. Donald Trump commandeers the process and basically says, no, we're going to make up this phony story about adoptions and blah, 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 blah. So on the course of the flight back to the United States, Donald Trump is is dictating this statement that is going to go out in his son's, under his son's, over his son's name. Uh, and Hope Hicks is like transcribing it. And she is also in phone touch with Don Jr., who's back in the United States. So again, a lot of people in the Trump world know about these emails now. They're trying to find out a way to get the information out there on their own terms. President Trump comes in with Hope Hicks right there dictating it and says, no, we're not going to do that, and comes up with this phony story. Now, a lot that, that has been a central point to the whole investigation. This is not, this is not a, a new thing. If it's true that Donald Trump knew about the stuff in June at the time, if he knew about it in real time, this isn't just defending his son. This is covering up for himself. And I have always thought... How does Donald Trump even know about this adoption stuff as a cover story even? Like, you know, where is this all? Where is this all coming from? Now, here is the key point. Raffle and Hope Hicks are both right there as all of this is happening. They're there when the idea is let's tell the truth. And at least Hicks is there when it goes to no. Let's make up a phony story and and put that out. Now, that would make 
the testimony of both of those people very central and very key to Bob Mueller, because it is not illegal to put out a, a phony press release, but this is very probative evidence for what Donald Trump knew in, knew in June 2016 and what he, what his, for lack of a better word, consciousness of guilt was in July 2017. Now, we all know that Hope Hicks resigned on Wednesday, right after this uh, high-stakes congressional testimony. What is less known, because he's just less of a, a well-known public figure, is that Raffle uh, resigned the night before. And and it, not seemingly with any warning or not anything front, like that. Yeah, and not front-page news. We haven't heard anything from him. We haven't really heard any reporting about kind of what led to this either, right? Yeah, there's been no clear explanation beyond sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> versions of sort of like you want to spend more time with your family, basically, <laughs> or you're moving on to greater challenges and stuff like that. And as you're, in this case, as your boss, Jared Kushner's public reputation is like swirling down the drain, it's a weird time to take on a new challenge. He Especially re- if you're a crisis PR professional. Yeah, yeah this is a crisis. This is what you, <laughs> this what is you the do. work you live for. Yeah. yeah, so it's odd. Now, my hunch is I do not know the immediate cause of both of these resignations, but I strongly suspect that they are not just cases of people who want to move on to greater responsibilities and new challenges. I think these things are driven by the tightening grip of the Mueller probe. I am pretty confident that that narrative that I just described, the legal entanglement of a lot of key people in both that June 2016 meeting and the July 2017 Air Force One flight is part of that tightening and that more people are, are getting drawn in. And, and now one thing you may have seen is that also last week, there are a number of reports that Mueller's investigators were starting to ask more and more, when did Donald Trump know about the hacked emails, which obviously fits right into what I'm just describing. So you have all of that. Now, the one at the same time last week, you had this entirely new thing which in some ways is even more dramatic and shocking, and that has to do with Jared Kushner and these loans. Now, we have it, it has been out there for a long time that when Jared Kushner took over his family company, when his dad went to prison yeah. for his crimes... Who's back in charge of the company now, Exactly, right? and he's going to come up in a second. Uh, when, he, when Jared took over, the, took over the company, he bought this building called 666 Fifth Avenue. Can't make it up. Yeah, you can't make it up. It's like an unrealistic uh, plot device in this this novel. He bought this building for what seemed at the time like way too much money. I think it set real estate records, didn't it, for one of the largest transactions, if not the biggest? I think it was the biggest transaction. Now, obviously, you know, real estate prices are going up. It's a big building in New York City. That in itself doesn't mean it's a problem, but it was perceived at the time of, wow, you paid a lot for that. Now, he paid a lot for it in 2007, which is to say- We all know what happens next. Yeah, exactly, right before the real estate market collapses. So for about a decade, 
the Kushner family has had a real big problem on their hands, which is this investment is underwater and they have no clear way of getting out from under it. And a key point is that it's one of these loans that kind of, you know, that comes due in full at a at a date certain. And that is basically like a year from now. Exactly. Like a year from today. Febru- Feb- yeah, February 2019 or something. Right. Like and, you know, the banks come and, and you know, where's our billion dollars. <laughs> you know, so that's a problem. Yeah. And we know that in the transit during the transition after President Trump was elected and before he was sworn in, we know and this is a central part of the Russia investigation that Kushner met with the guy who runs a major state-controlled Russian bank. Kushner says just policy meeting. The banker said no, we're talking about giving them a loan, right? So so that's been out there and it's everybody has always thought, well, okay, was this the you know quid pro quo? And I'm sure Mueller is still investigating that. There was also an effort to, and this got much further along, they almost got financing from a sort of state-connected Chinese, I think it's actually an insurance company, but a big financial firm in China that was going was gonna, to uh, put up the money. But when journalists found out about it, there was a lot of attention, and that just scuttled it. They pulled out. Right. Okay. Now, I at least thought, assumed, that he tried during the transition. People found out about it, and that that was just it. Right. Then you get to the White House, and you go about the business of running the government and leave that behind. That's the way it's usually Well, that's the way it should be. I I wouldn't think that... I don't think that would ever be Jared uh, Jared Kushner's uh, angle, but I like I assume he would want to do it. Mm-hmm. But I kind of figured, you know, he got his hand burned really bad, and so right. that was sort of that was sort of done. Right. What we found out in the last week is it wasn't done. That he has that his that his his company has gotten about half a billion dollars worth of loans for the family. Uh, company, basically in the spring of 2017. Now, these did not go specifically to refinance that that building that we're talking about, but money's fungible in one big company, so it's going to help a lot. So he got a his family business, which he no longer runs, but is still a major stakeholder in, and is run by his immediate family. So you know, it's not it's hardly like an arm's length kind of thing. Uh, Apollo, a private equity fund, gave what was for it a huge loan, a $184 million loan from Apollo Capital or something like that. Um, and then he got a th- his company got a $325 million loan from Citibank. Now, both of these loans came soon after Kushner had met the executives who run these companies about things that were nominally about government. Now, <laughs> the Kushner response is, well, you know, I meet with tons of people. If someone gives my fan, you know, it, it, it looks very bad. And I'm pretty sure it is very bad. And the reality is it when you are in, if you are playing in that way, you don't necessarily have to ask. People want to do you favors because you are the... Senior advisor to the president. Yeah, exactly. My question is, 
can you not make this more obvious? I mean, why does Jared Kushner have to be the one to meet with these executives? Is there not someone he can just deputize to do it? And at least, like, avoid the appearance that, hey, you came, you swung by my office at the White House, and then, lo and behold... Yeah, I got no real explanation (laughs) for that. But then, okay, so those are both things, though, that seem very corrupt, but it's not something that, at least on its face, touches matters of war and peace. You know, one of America's biggest banks wants to make sure they have a friend in the White House. They make a loan, even if it's not a great loan, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But then... A little later last week, I think a couple days later, The Intercept published a story which was the real blockbuster. And that is that in April of 2017, Jared's father, again, who's been in prison for other crimes and who now is back running the company now that his his son is in charge of doing <laughs> a number of things. Yeah, whatever it is he's doing. Charles Kushner, Jared's dad met with the finance minister of Qatar in New York to basically try to get a loan to refloat this building, the loan for which is threatening to destroy the family fortune. They met a couple times. It fell through. It didn't work out. About a month later, Kushner was the key player on the U.S. side giving the go-ahead to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to gang up on Qatar. And what eventually, there was a blockade. They, you know, it was, it seemed like they might go to war. They might still go to war. It's still going on. So again, back up and look at the big picture. Kushner family goes to not some company in Qatar, goes to Qatar, goes to the finance minister. These Gulf states all have big sovereign, um, sovereign investment funds looking for probably at least half a billion dollars. It doesn't work out. A few weeks later, Kushner signs off on and encourages a group of Qatar's neighbors to attack Qatar, not actually to attack them with, with, with weapons, but to blockade them, all this kind of stuff. Now, Kushner's role in this was was known at the time, and he had allied with this guy who's known as MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, who is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. His father's the king, but his father is 80-something. And the prince is a young guy, too. He, like in his early 30s. About, so yeah, they're around the same age, more yeah, or less. Yeah, probably a little young, but yes, yeah. yes. Sort of, <laughs> sort of both like, <laughs> you know, kind of daughtered sons of, of exactly. war- warlords in their respective countries. So, and there was, Kushner was actually in Saudi Arabia meeting with the crown prince right before this happened. There's a... a a report right around the time that they spent like an entire night together. Yeah, yeah, up to four talk, o'clock in the morning. Right. So <laughs> it looks bad because it is bad. But one thing to keep in mind here is the Saudis and the Emirates and the Qataris, they didn't need Jared Kushner to tell them to get into a fight. There are all sorts of internecine uh, conflicts here. A lot of a lot of what is behind this current conflict 
is the relationship that these small Gulf states have either with Saudi Arabia or with Iran and kind of where they are in that you know, in that larger conflict. So it's not like Kushner created this, but one of the things a great power does is sort of provide a stability, like, no, you're not going to do that. We're not going to, you know, that's not okay with us, et cetera. So um, that happened. So this really look, I mean, again, if Citibank gave $300 million loan to Jared Kushner, that's terrible for corruption in our government. But Probably no one's going to get killed over it or whatever. But in this case, it really seems like Kushner greenlighted this and encouraged this because they had put the squeeze on the government of Qatar to give them the money. They didn't do it. And this was some kind of payback. Now, maybe it wasn't direct payback, but did it feed into his thinking? It's, it's impossible to think it did not. So as all this stuff was happening, as this uh, blockade is taking place, uh, Secretary of State Tillerson tries to come in and, and settle things down. We know, and we knew at the time, that Kushner tried to block that. He didn't want it settled down. And then the president got involved and started saying how great it was that Saudi Arabia had cracked down I think on Trump had, a, Trump had a press conference at this time, right, where he directly contradicted Tillerson on the matter yeah, or something. I, th- I think so. And then there was like a tweet where he said something like, you know, my good friends, uh, Salman, King Salman or something. <laughs> <Exactly>. So, <laughs> so, so, and here's the thing to keep in mind. The U.S. has a major military base in Qatar. So to the extent that we are enabling what are arguably acts of war against this state, even though we're not talking about like kinetic war, like weapons and stuff like that, that is, that doesn't, that's a huge problem. And it kind of doesn't make any sense. Again, we have one of our big military bases there. So Kushner, at a minimum, encourages it, signs off on it, makes very direct efforts to prevent it from being uh, settled. So did he, did we, did we get close to like actual, you know, a major war in, in, uh, you know, in the Arabian Peninsula because of Kushner, the Kushner's family's need for half a billion or a billion dollars? Now, there's various ways you can look at this. Is it just him or is it that the United Arab Emirates kind of says, we can kind of maneuver him. We know that he just got, you know, he didn't get that loan he needed. He's against them. We will sort of use that to manipulate him and get him to sign off on what we want. So you don't necessarily have to think that Kushner is the evil genius here who has this plan that he's going to squeeze a billion dollars out of Qatar by, you know, letting the Saudis do a blockade. It's just as likely that he's being manipulated as as much as anything else. Yeah, which lines up with the Washington Post report last week, right, that four countries had determined that Kushner had sort of vulnerabilities and kind of a space for them to manipulate him. And one Be- of those countries was the UAE. Exactly. To manipulate him because he needed that money. So you, this is, it is hard to, it is hard to overstate 
how bad a situation this is. I mean, again, we think about venal corruption, taking bribes and stuff like that. Bribes are terrible. They defeat good governance. But usually we keep it sort of in the American family, right, where, where uh, you know, maybe Citibank gives some money and they get a little regulatory help and stuff like that. And that's terrible. But that is at least sort of in, you know, in our house. Here, what it looks like is you have someone who is extremely inexperienced. Now, I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh, he's naive. He couldn't have known. He's he's entirely responsible for what happened, but he is inexperienced. He is someone that a sophisticated uh, intelligence organization could really go to town with. He is over there, you know, with his hand out, looking for the billion dollars he needs to save the family fortune. And suddenly he's like another warlord. Uh, you know, in the Persian Gulf, and he's getting played. This is really, really, really bad. Now, there's one other story that came out last week, and that is that a Qatari delegation was in Washington in January and February, and they thought about giving information about Jared Kushner to Robert Mueller. So, what it seems like is, and again, all of these states have very sophisticated uh, intelligence organizations, um, many of whom play much rougher than ours do, and ours play rough. It's not that ours don't. So they are suggesting that they have information that implicates Jared Kushner. It probably has something to do with what we just described. Now, if you're looking at this from a U.S. perspective, especially from a kind of an anti-Trump perspective, you say, well, anybody who has evidence to about Trump collusion and Trump corruption definitely should come forward. That's great. Well, yes, but, you know, we talk about compromise with Donald Trump. Do, do, you know, do the Russians have something over Donald Trump? Well, what this means is that the Qataris think they definitely have something that could maybe send Jared Kushner to prison. So, again, anybody who has evidence should come forward. But you have to also look at it from this other perspective that this is they kind of own him if they really have this kind of evidence. Now, there was a sort of a soft denial from the Qatar government, Qatar government, about this, but not much of one. So they have put that out there. Now, this just get Now, there's one other thing I should mention. There was an article in Slate late last week, um, possibly even Saturday, I can't remember, that looked at what I have just described about the United Arab Emirates, about Qatar, about Saudi Arabia, brought in Turkey, and actually said that if you look at where the money was all originating from, this actually validates the Steele dossier. That it actually, that, that these kind of transactions that I'm describing, actually Russia is in the background, sort of moving money around and blah, 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 blah. When I read that, I was sort of like, it, that's, I, I have a hard time with, that seems like a little wild and stuff. But... 
most of the stuff that we're hearing about now, I would have I would have found completely implausible. So I'm not really ready to go there yet. But Robert Mueller is looking at all of this stuff now. Maybe it has nothing to do with the Russia stuff at all. I suspect in a basic sense they're on different tracks, although who knows? I have been I've been surprised many times over the last over the last year and a half. But if it's not related, it is its entirely own thing. And what you have is in some ways the same story as the Russia story, which is to say a heavily leveraged businessman with very little ethics who is used to criminal activity getting into into the US government where you are supposed to be acting on behalf of the US government and having very little even ability to think in terms of wait okay I am in a lot of debt but it's not okay that I that I have this war discussion <laughs> and sort of figure in my need for money at the same time yeah in a lot of ways you know you have you have crooks who need money, who are in a lot of debt, who through a just very strange confluence of events get in charge of the American government and just do what comes naturally, which is to try to feather their own nests. And it's pretty clear it happened with Russia. There may be other reasons. There may be, you know, the R Russians have these ties to the NRA and blah, 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 blah. But at a fundamental level, this is about Donald Trump is about himself. And you put some money in front of him, you can get things to happen. It seems based on what we saw, what we learned last week, that something similar has happened with Jared Kushner with a totally different set of countries. Now, it may even be, if we go for a totally uh, non-credible plot twist, that these things all connect up. I don't think they, co they connect up, but they're the same thing. The motivations are similar. Yeah, the motivations, exactly. The motivations are the same thing. And Robert Mueller, and we saw even more reports about this uh, this morning, he is looking aggressively into all of this. And... It just, it is, again, it is difficult to overstate how bad a position the country is in because of these two men. And I suspect there is still much more that we do not know. So I know we've gone over a lot of facts just now, and it's probably uh, hard to keep up with all of them. But let's step back and look again at the big picture. Why is the president, why are the president's allies saying he's in this precarious mental state, that it's different than it's ever been, that it's, he's angry, he's depressed, blah, 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 blah. I think it is because the threat from the Mueller probe is increasing greatly and steadily. And these two dimensions that we've just discussed the continuing investigation into that Trump Tower meeting in June 2016, the cover-up of that meeting in July 2017, this whole new set of loans 
that Jared Kushner's family company was getting and how it ties up in this conflict in the Persian Gulf. These, we think, are two of the things that are raising the temperature on the president. So keep an eye on these two lines of inquiry and watch what you see over the next few days, more reports about the Mueller campaign, about questions of when did the president know about the hacked emails, drilling in on that, looking more closely at these loans with Jared Kushner, possibly how it connects up with Turkey. Because remember, there's Mike Flynn. We haven't even talked about him in months. Yeah, where has he been? He's yeah, been... And, 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 and a lot of this stuff with Qatar uh, ties up with Turkey. So a lot of these things are together. Keep an eye on. We hope you enjoyed today's episode because, you know, this is a little different than we're normally going to do. But we think this is a potentially a real turning point in the the politics and legal jeopardy about this Mueller investigation. So we wanted to kind of bring all of this together for you. So you know what to do now that now that we've given you all this information, we hope you'll subscribe. You definitely have to subscribe and rate us. Give us a good rating on iTunes or uh, uh, Apple, uh, Google Play or whatever platform you listen to us on. It helps us move the show forward. And keep sending us emails. We've gotten some good feedback from listeners and we really take those seriously. We read them. We share them with the team. We were we're hearing you. So yeah, yeah, for no, hearing us. yeah, definitely. And then you know, sometimes uh, some of those just be like, "Hey, this didn't work," or you know, I, "You need to fix this or fix that." Those are great. But also, you know, ask questions because we want to also read emails on the air. So, thank you for listening again. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next week. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>